0: If you have your copy of God's Word, and I know you do, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For those of you who may not know, our church is affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention. A church, uh, a convention of over 45,000 evangelical churches. We are the largest denomination in the United States. But we aren't the only Baptist group. As a matter of fact, there are a number of other Baptist groups in the United States. Let me give you a few of them. There are National Baptists, Progressive National Baptists, General Baptists, Primitive Baptists, Progressive Primitive Baptists, Regular Baptists, Old Regular Baptists, Two Seed in the Spirit, Predestinarian Baptists, American Baptists, Conservative Baptists, National Missionary Baptists, Free Will Baptists, Independent Baptists, Seventh Day Baptists, General Six Principle Baptists, and that's not all of us. There are a whole lot of Baptist groups in the United States. Not to mention all the other denominations that are in the United States. And some of you may be asking this morning, why are there so many different Baptist groups? Why are there so many different denominations in the United States? Well, I believe that what we're going to be looking at today answers in part that question. Last week we began a series on the book of 1 Corinthians that we entitled, The Elephant in the Room. And one of the things that we discovered last week is that Paul wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians in response to a visit that he received and a letter he received. And when he received this visit and when he received this letter, he discovered some elephants in the room. He discovered some problems that the church at Corinth was facing. And let me tell you, they were facing a number of different problems. They had one man that was sleeping with his mother. I would say that's a problem. They had a group of believers who were taking another group of believers to court. That's a problem. They had people, get this, they had people getting drunk on the communion wine. That's a problem. But the number one issue, the church in Corinth faith, and I believe the number one issue that we face today is the issue of division. The issue of divisive spirits. You see, if the church doesn't deal with division... Division has the ability not only to cripple us as a body of believers, it has the ability to destroy us. Jesus said it this way. He said, any kingdom divided against itself will come to ruin. Will come to ruin and a house divided against itself will fall. You see, whenever there is fussing and fighting among ourselves, it's only a matter of time before we fall. So as Paul begins to address all the issues at the church in Corinth, he begins with these words in verse 10. Listen to what he says. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you. One translation of this passage says, so that there won't be any splits in the church. Now notice how Paul begins this letter. He begins with an appeal. And he appeals to them based upon the fact that they are family. You are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's act like family. And then he appealed to them on the basis of their being servants. They were servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, they needed to live for Jesus and they needed to follow Jesus. Now, from this verse, Paul takes us through the next four chapters in which he deals with this issue on divisiveness. Now, let me say to you before we go any further, as you read chapter 1 through chapter 4, you're going to discover a lot of incredible truths. You're going to discover some truths about earthly wisdom versus spiritual wisdom. You're going to discover some truths about, about rewards and judgment in heaven, you're going to discover all different kinds of truths, but understand the overarching theme of all four of these chapters is the division that the church in Corinth was facing and how they could restore unity in the body. And so, as you read these chapters in the future, you need to understand that even though you may learn a lot of different truths. In these four chapters, the primary truth that Paul is trying to get across to us is that division is wrong and we need to be unified as a body. And so as we look at these four chapters, there are really three things that I want us to see this morning. The first one is this, and that is the problems that cause division. And as we read through these chapters, we discover that there are three primary problems that we face as a church that will cause us to divide now i'm not going to go through these in order from chapter one to chapter four i'm going to hit them really really backwards but i want you to listen to the problems the first problem that they needed to address was the problem of a puffed up attitude they had puffed up attitudes listen to what paul said in chapter four verse seven if you've got your bible open why are you so puffed up? What are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, why act as though you were so great, as though you have accomplished something on your own? Paul uses that phrase puffed up three times in chapter 4. But the attitude of being puffed up is found throughout these four chapters. in that word? In the Greek, literally means inflated. And when it's speaking of people, it's speaking of an inflated opinion of oneself. You see, the Corinthians were full of pride. They were filled with spiritual pride. They thought they were better than other people. They thought they were better because of the gifts they had been given. They thought they were better because of the the deep truths they had learned. They thought they were better because of the experiences they had. Now listen very carefully. Spiritual pride, a puffed up attitude, leads us to say, look at me. See what I can do. Spiritual pride causes us to think that we are something special. And you need to understand that that happens to all of us. Because the fact is, we all want to be somebody We all want to be noticed. We all want to be special. But what we need to remember is this. Apart from Jesus, we're nothing. Apart from Jesus, we're nobodies. Apart from Jesus, there is nothing special in us. Now, I know that flies against everything our culture teaches today. Because our culture teaches that we're all special. We're all winners. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody comes out on top. But you know, experientially, that that's not true. And let me tell you, biblically, that is not true. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches that you are nothing special. You are a nobody Apart from Christ. I want you to listen to what Paul tells the believers at Corinth in chapter 1. Look at verses 26 through 29. He says, brothers, he's talking to Christians. He says, brothers, think of what you were before you were called. Take a moment and remember who you were before you got saved. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, and the things that are nothing to nullify the things that are, so that no one, no one, no one may boast before God. The fact is, God doesn't choose us based upon our abilities. The Corinthians were at best average, ordinary, everyday people. They weren't supremely wise. They weren't incredibly influential. They weren't from powerful families. These people weren't the valedictorians of their class. They weren't voted most likely to succeed. And the truth is... God often, as a matter of fact, God most often uses the weak. He uses the lowly. He uses the despised to carry out His plans. And the reason is so that no one can boast. You see, you and I have nothing to be proud of apart from the fact that Jesus loves us. That's the only reason that we have a reason to boast. And then Paul gives himself as an example. Listen to what he says in chapter 3, verse 5. You may want to turn there. Paul says this. Is Apollos important? No. Is Paul important? No. We are only servants of God who helped you believe. Each one of us did the work God gave us to do. Now, if there was anyone who had a reason to be puffed up, it was Paul. I mean, Paul was something Special. I mean, Jesus appeared to Paul personally on the road to Damascus. Jesus left heaven, came down to the road to Damascus to appear to Paul. That's something special, isn't it? Paul gave us half the books of the New Testament. That's something special, isn't it? Paul was the greatest missionary who ever lived. That's something special. And yet, Paul said, In spite of all that, I'm a nothing, I'm a nobody, I am no one apart from the grace of God. Listen, you don't have any reason to be puffed up and filled with spiritual pride. You aren't saved because of what you've done. You aren't valuable to the kingdom of God because of anything you do. You are only saved by the mercy and grace of God, and you are only used by the mercy and grace of God. You see, there is no room for pride in the family of God. As a matter of fact, I believe that when we are at the foot of the cross, all we can do is fall down and worship. When we are at the feet of Jesus, if we have an ounce of pride in our body, it may be that we don't even know Him. Because understand, in light of Jesus, in light of what he did on the cross, we have no room to boast. Listen to what Paul said in chapter 4, verse 7. He says, who says you're better than others? What do you have that was not given to you? And if it was given to you, why do you brag as though you did not receive it as a gift? In other words, everything that you are is because of the grace of God. Every gift you have, every ability you have is because of God's grace upon your life. Why are you bragging about something that God gave you? Pride. Spiritual pride is a dangerous thing. It caused Lucifer to rebel against God and be kicked out of heaven. It caused Adam and Eve to rebel against God and be kicked out of the garden. And spiritual pride infects each and every one of us. But listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs. It says, pride goes before destruction. In the book of James, it says, God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So watch out for a puffed up attitude because when we get puffed up, That's the first thing that divides us. We think we're somebody. We think we're special. We think we know more than other people. We're more gifted than other people. Therefore, we should receive the glory and we should receive the honor. A puffed up attitude. The second thing that causes division is a sinful nature. Look at chapter 3, verse 3. Notice what Paul says. He says, For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. Now, it's important that you remember that Paul is addressing believers He is addressing the church at Corinth and he tells them you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and you're quarreling with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living just like the people of the world? Now wouldn't it be great if at salvation we lost our sinful nature? Wouldn't it be good if it disappeared? And there's some people that that misunderstand Scripture and they believe that when we're saved, we lose that old nature. And that's a lie. And, And all you have to do is walk the Christian life for a week or two and you discover it's a lie. It's not true. Because all of a sudden, that sinful nature, it kind of manifests itself in your life, in your attitude, in your actions, and you realize, whoa, This thing that I thought was dead is still alive and is trying to come back and take over again. And so listen very carefully. Just because you become a Christian doesn't mean your sinful nature dies. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live in you and He gives you the power to overcome your sinful nature. But the Bible tells us that in this world, until we die, there will be a battle between the old nature and the new nature. And we must give in, we must surrender to the Holy Spirit if our old nature is going to be defeated. Now the church at Corinth was giving in to their old nature. They were giving into the old way, and they were living just like unbelievers. And can that be said about many Christians today? I mean, people who say they love Jesus, who follow Jesus, but you look at them, you, you hear them talk, you see their attitudes toward other people, you see the habits that they have in their life, and, and you say things like, well, they're no different than, than anybody else. And, and on the surface, that's true. And the reason is, they're being controlled by their sinful nature. Now, notice how Paul described this person who is controlled by their sinful nature. Look back at verse 1 of chapter 3. In verse 1, Paul says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants or babies in Christ. Paul said, because you're being controlled by your sinful nature, you're nothing more than a baby Christian. Now, I love babies. I I love them, especially now that I can hold them, spoil them and give them back babies are wonderful and, and we all love babies because they're so cute and they're so cuddly but you know if a baby stays a baby it's a problem isn't it uh, because babies by their very nature are, are selfish babies are self-centered babies are focused on their wants babies are ruled by their appetites would you agree with that Babies cannot feed themselves. Babies cannot take care of themselves. If a baby gets hungry, what does it do? Feed me. If a baby gets a dirty diaper, what does it do? Does it wipe its own little hiney? No. It sits there and whines until you clean up the mess. So that's what babies do. They're demanding. They're selfish. They desire to be the center of attention. And and that's how we are. Listen, that's how we are when we're controlled by our sinful nature. We're selfish and we're self-centered. It's all about our desires, our wants, and our likes. We want to be most important. It's about what we want. Now, let me ask you a question. If we're controlled by our desires, our wants, our wishes... Do you think that that could create problems in the body of Christ? Absolutely. Look at me for a second. People, for the most part, don't leave a church because of theological reasons. People, for the most part, don't leave a church because of missiological reasons, the mission of the church. People leave a church because they don't get their way. They're sinful, they're immature, they're babies in Christ, they don't get what they want, and so what do they do? They go somewhere else to see if they can get what they want. And can I tell you, when we're controlled by this sinful nature, it will always divide. So they had a puffed up attitude, they were proud, look who I am. They were controlled by a sinful nature that revealed itself in their immaturity. They were self-centered and selfish. And then they had a partisan spirit. Excuse me, a partisan spirit. Look at chapter 1, verses 11 through 12. Paul says, my brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. You see, the church had organized into four main camps or four main groups. And and some were saying, I follow Paul. Now, Paul was the founder of the church. And most people say that the group that followed Paul were focused on their freedom in Christ. In other words, they could do whatever they wanted to do. Because Paul came preaching, we are free from the law. But they misunderstood what Paul said. And they were abusing their freedom. So you had the Paul group. We're free to do whatever we want to do. And then you had the Apollos group. If you were here last week, you remember Apollos went to Corinth from Ephesus. And he was an incredible communicator. He was an eloquent eloquent speaker. And he was full of wisdom. And the Apollos group was probably those who were who were into the deeper life. Let me tell you some of these deep truths I've learned. And they were into that. I want to learn the deep things of God. Have you ever heard people say that? You know, when people say that, I want to say, well, why don't you apply those surface things that you don't even do? Maybe God will give you some deep things. And then there was the Cephas group. Cephas was Peter. He was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers. And most people believe that these were the legalistic Christians in Corinth. They said, you've got to follow these rules. And then there was this other group that said, well, we follow Christ. And, and this wasn't the spiritual group. This was the worst group of all because they were an exclusive group. They said, we're the real followers. All these other people, they don't even belong to Christ. We're the only ones here who really belong to Christ. And so the church was divided up into all of these partisan groups and we do the same thing today. We rally around different leaders, we rally around different styles, we rather around rally around different positions, all of which are secondary or peripheral issues most of the time. We break up into the, the traditional worship camp and the contemporary worship camp. We break up into you should wear a suit to church and I want to wear jeans to church. We break up into the group that says we're going to go through the tribulation and the group that says, no, we're going to be spared the tribulation. We break up into the groups that say God elects those who are going to be saved and the other group who say, but we have freedom to choose and we have free will. We break up into all of these groups and what happens is we draw lines in the sand and we say, it's my way. Or the highway. Don't cross the line. And let me tell you, when we do that, we're not building up the body. We're dividing the body and splintering the body. And so here we see three problems they faced. They had a partisan spirit. They had a sinful nature. And they had a puffed up attitude. The second thing we see in these chapters is the actions that can prevent division. If if we do these things... It will take care of the divisive spirit. Now, the first thing Paul tells us is this. Stick with Jesus. Stick with Jesus. He begins this even in chapter 1. As he is dealing with these four groups, he says this. He said, was Paul crucified for you? And the answer is obviously what? No, that was who? Jesus. And then he said, were you baptized in the name of Paul? And the answer is No, you were baptized in the name of Jesus. So Paul is saying, listen, it's not about these various groups. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the answer to our spiritual pride. Listen to what Paul says in chapter 3, verse 11. He says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And we oftentimes use that verse to speak individually of our lives we need to build our life upon jesus but you need to understand the context of this passage that is true but that's not the context of this passage what paul is saying is we build the church upon the foundation which is jesus and then when we build the church upon jesus Then you build upon that church using various things. And different churches use different things to build upon. But the only foundation you can build upon and be a church is Jesus. Jesus is not just the main thing. Jesus is the only thing. In chapter 2, Paul said, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Understand, there's only one name that can save, and that's the name of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. When we divide into our partisan groups, Paul says, you're focusing on the wrong person. It's not about Paulus, not about Apollos. It's not about Cephas. It's all about Jesus. And so understand at Northside, we've made a commitment that Jesus is the main thing. He is the one we're seeking to please. He is the one we've come to worship. He is the one we serve for. He is the one we give to. It's all about Jesus. Look at me. Look at me. It's not about you or your family. It's not about me or my family. It's not even about, listen, it's not even about the unchurched and the lost, though they are important. It's all about Jesus, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men into myself. Jesus said, if you will keep me where I am supposed to be, the center of attention, then everything else will take care of itself. Listen, if we will focus on Jesus, then we won't be dividing over these petty things that we divide over. If we focus on Jesus, we won't be concerned about what color the carpet is, what style of architecture we use, what programs we offer, because it's all about Jesus. The first thing, stick with Jesus. Jesus isn't just the main thing. Jesus is the only thing. Second thing, let God's Word guide you. Now, this is the answer to our spiritual immaturity. Listen to what Paul says in chapter 4. Verse 6, he says, you should learn from us not to go beyond what is written in Scripture. Then you won't arrogantly place one of us in opposition to the other. You see, the problem in the church at Corinth is that the people were taking the Bible and they were using the Bible, but then they were adding to the Bible, they were going beyond what was in Scripture. They were adding their opinions, their ideas, their interpretations to what the Bible said. And Paul said, what you need to do is let the word of God and the word of God alone guide you. You see, if God's word is clear on an issue, we hold that issue with a closed hand. But if God's word is not clear on an issue, we look at that issue with an open hand. Do you follow what I'm saying? On the issues that the Word of God speaks clearly on, closed hand, there is no debate. On those issues that the Word of God doesn't speak clearly to, open-handed, we recognize that people have different opinions, different ideas on these passages. So, for instance, when we speak about salvation, the Bible is clear. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone, not by works. That is a closed-hand issue. It is not open for debate. When we talk about Jesus and who he was, Jesus is God in the flesh who lived a perfect life on this earth. That is a closed-hand issue. It's not open for debate. When we talk about what is the Bible, the Bible is the Word of God. All Scripture is given by the inspiration, the breath of God. That is a closed-hand issue. It is not open for debate. When we talk about Jesus um, dying on a cross and being resurrected from the grave, that's closed-hand. It's not open for debate. When we talk about Jesus coming back, that's a closed-hand issue. It's not open for debate. But, there are other things that are open for debate. Like, for instance, when is Jesus coming back? H- how is Jesus coming back? Uh, is, is he coming back before the world goes into a time of tribulation or after a time the world goes into a time of tribulation? Let me tell you, the, world, the Word of God isn't crystal clear on that. And, and so we've got to, we can have our opinions and we can have our ideas and we can have our interpretations, but we've got to be open-handed on that. When it comes to creation, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a close-handed issue. But how did he do it? Are the seven days in Genesis literal days or are they figurative days? The, the Hebrew word can be translated either way. There are people that believe the Bible is the word of God from cover to cover and believe that God is the one who created it all, who have different views on that. And so do we have a closed hand issue on that? No, we don't have a closed hand issue on that. We look at that open-handed and we can have our ideas, we can have our views, but we recognize there are people that love Jesus that have different opinions on this. What about election and the sovereignty of God and the free will of man? Some are five-point Calvinists, some are no-point Calvinists. And to be honest with you, there are passages in Scripture where you can look at things different ways and, and you can scratch your head and go, wow, this is, this is a confusing passage. And and all of us who study the Word, we come to an interpretation, and yet we have to be honest and realize there are people that love Jesus who believe the Word, who come to a different opinion on this, and so we can't be close-handed on it. We've got to be open-handed. When we talk about political issues, we need to be very careful. There are some of you that say, we need to close our borders. There are others of you who may say, no, we need to open our borders. Does the Bible speak to that? No. No. And we can have our opinions, we can have our ideas, we can have our thoughts, but we don't make things like that an issue that divides. We're open-handed as we talk about it. Does that make sense to you? You see, we need to stick with the Bible. And those secondary, peripheral issues should never divide us. So there are issues that are very clear. There are issues that aren't so clear. On the issues that are clear close-handed no debate on the issues that aren't clear we recognize that brothers and sisters can disagree on these issues the third thing we need to do we need to stick with jesus we need to hold fast to the word and third we never forget our purpose now this is the answer to a partisan spirit look at chapter 1 verse 10 be completely united with with only one thought and, and one purpose You see, we get off track, we become divisive when we forget our purpose. And the church at Corinth had forgotten their purpose. Now, what is our purpose? Jesus gave it to us before he returned to heaven. It's called the Great Commission. He said, go into the world and make disciples. That that was the purpose of the church at Corinth. And that's the purpose for any church today. Our purpose is to make disciples disciples. To tell people about Jesus and give them the opportunity to follow Jesus and become a part of his forever family. The reason you are still on planet earth, if you are a Christ follower, is this purpose. He left you here to accomplish his purpose. In Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul said this, I only want to complete my mission, my purpose, and finish the work that the Lord Jesus gave me to do, which is to declare the good news about the grace of God. Paul said, I've got one purpose, and that is to tell everybody about the grace of God. Our purpose as individuals, our purpose as a church, is to declare the good news about the grace of God. When we forget that, and we begin to chase over secondary issues, We become divided. When we make making Jesus known our purpose, we stay united. There was a theologian of the 17th century. His name was Nicholas Zinzendorf, who said something that I think each of us needs to let sink in. Let me read it to you. He said we need to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Think about it. We need to preach the gospel, die, and then be forgotten. And why did he say that? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. Paul said, I determined to preach nothing while I was with you except for Christ. And Christ crucified. The gospel of Jesus Christ preach the gospel, die, go into the arms of Jesus, and be forgotten. When we come to the point when we realize it's not about us, we're not a big deal, Jesus is everything, then we as a church will be united. So we stick with Jesus, we let God's Word guide us, we never forget our purpose. And when we do this, most of the time we're going to be united. But what do we do? What would do we do uh, those few times... That that doesn't work. I mean, because we've got to be honest, don't we? There are times that we we say this is what we need to do, but some people just aren't going to do that. What do we do? Well, that brings us to the third point, and we're going to close with this, and that is the process that stops division. Later on, Paul was writing a letter to Titus, who was one of his sons in the ministry. And in Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, Paul said this, And we're really going to address this next week. But but Paul said, warn a divisive person once, warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Now, notice what Paul said. When a person is divisive, you warn them, first of all. You warn them once, you warn them twice. You don't just give them one warning. You give them multiple warnings. You warn a divisive person. And then he said, don't have anything to do with them. Separate from them. And then he tells us why. He said, You can be sure that the person who is continually divisive is warped and sinful. Warp speaks about our nature, our core, who we are on the inside. Paul said, When a person is continually divisive, they're warped on the inside and they are sinful. And they have already condemned themselves. And you need to get rid of them. You need to separate from them. Now, why? Why did Paul use such aggressive means to deal with the person who is continually divisive? Can I tell you why? Listen. Because the church has been given the greatest task on planet earth. The task of making known the name of Jesus to the nations and presenting his grace and his mercy to the world so that whosoever may receive it. And our task is so important that we can't let anything take us off task. And anything that is going to take us off task, anything that is going to remove our focus, anything that is going to divide us, we need to deal with it quickly and we need to deal with it aggressively. Because hear me, economic reform will not keep a person out of hell. Educational reform will not keep a person out of hell. Social reform will not keep a person out of hell. Redistribution of wealth worldwide will not keep a person out of hell. The only thing that will keep a person out of hell is the grace of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ. And we as the people of God, the church have been given the divine mandate to make that message known. And we can't let anything, anything stop us. As Paul says, when people will not stick to Jesus, when people will not let the Word guide them, when people will not focus on the purpose, the gospel, and making the gospel known to the world, then you've got to deal with that device of spirit. And you deal with it humbly, but you deal with it quickly. Because your task is too important to get off task. Then as we wrap this up, I've got two questions for you. And I want each of us to ask ourselves these two questions. For those of us who are Christ followers, who are Christians, we need to ask ourselves, do I have a divisive spirit? Have I allowed... Division to take its place in my attitude, in my spirit, in my heart. Am I filled with pride? Am I puffed up? Am I wanting my way? Have I divided over secondary issues? And if I have, then I need to confess it. And I need to repent of it. And I need to let God cleanse me. Because understand, division is a serious thing. But secondly, if you're here and you're not a Christ follower, I want you to understand that Jesus loves you so much that He is willing to take serious steps, even with His children, to guard against... Something keeping you from hearing and having the opportunity to receive the gospel. You see, that's why he does this. God does this because he loves the world so much that he says, I am not going to let you take the focus off me and my purpose. And so if you're here and you don't know God, you don't know his son Jesus, I'm here to tell you, he loves you so much that He's willing to discipline me and He's willing to deal drastically with me if I need it so that I will not keep you from knowing about His love. He loves you. And if you're here and you've never accepted that love, then today I want to beg you. I want to plead with you. Humble yourself before Almighty God. Accept the grace and mercy that was poured out on the cross for you. Give your life to Him. Let Him save you. And begin His work of transformation in you. I want you to bow your head. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed just want to remind you of two things before we pray. As a believer, if you're a believer, check your heart, check your spirit. Make sure that a divisive spirit hasn't crept in. If it has, deal with, deal with it. For you that aren't yet a Christ follower, right now His Spirit is... He's drawing you into himself. Humble yourself. Give your life to him. Say, how do I do that? You can pray this prayer if you, if you want to, if you mean it with all your heart right now. Dear God, forgive me. Forgive me for my arrogance. The thought that I could be good enough to go to heaven. The thought that I didn't need you in my life. The thought that I could rule my life better than you could. Forgive me. I know I need you. I know apart from your mercy, I am damned. I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died on the cross. Rose from the grave to save me. Today, I'm giving my life to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and take control of my life. Amen.